I want to welcome you as we join as the Christ Journey family once again on our campuses. Kendall Campus, shout out and love to you. Gables Campus, so glad that we can be together again. And then wherever you're joining us today through Church Online, right in your space, may it become a sacred space as together we share the grace of our Almighty God. The scripture says, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And that's good news because we live in a world where people are in trouble and people need to be saved. Some, this very hour, need to be saved from fires that are raging, others from floods that are rising, others from earthquakes that have already taken down people and lives and settings in Haiti. We remember our partners and friends in the nation of Haiti. Uh, some need to be saved in the midst of political turmoil and violence. We have loved ones in Cuba. We have loved ones and friends in Afghanistan. We remember you in our prayers this day. And now across the Gulf Coast of the United States as Hurricane Ida bears down and threatens landing at Category 5 status, we are praying for loved ones in Louisiana and for all of those that are going to be aid and to be part of the solution in the aftermath of that storm, a very present help in trouble. And so, God, we pray that people who are acknowledging their need will find your salvation today in Christ. You know, sometimes we just need to be saved from ourselves. True for me. How about you? I was um, shocked and saddened when I learned of Anthony Bourdain's death. In many people's eyes, I mean, he was living the dream at the time. He's a gifted chef. He's traveling the world. He's sharing meals. He's telling stories. He seemed to have it made by all appearances. I mean, he's got fame, fortune, friends, and food. This is, uh, it just doesn't make sense that he would exit this life by his own hand. And a documentary that has been made about his life, quoted him in these words. You're probably going to find out about this anyway, so here's a little preemptive truth-telling. There is no happy ending. Now, I don't know what, what that meant. I don't, I don't know. Did he feel trapped in some way that we don't know about, you know, beneath the surface? Was he looking but just couldn't find a way out? You know, articles that I've read hinted perhaps at depression or some sort of mental health crisis but, you know, we don't know. Maybe he was just looking for a way out. Maybe he felt like stuff was closing in on him, and then it was even everything he had in his life, it still wasn't a way out. You know, that, that song that perhaps for some of you is old these days, you know, it comes on the radio every so often. Oh, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. I'm thinking there are more than one or two people who know what that song is talking about, like the thrill is gone. Have you ever heard the word saved? <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful Bible word. You'll find it in several verses like this one, by grace you have been saved through faith. Today we're taking a closer look at what it means to be saved. And perhaps you don't know this, but did you know that more than any other worldview, religion, or uh, philosophy, Christianity is about salvation. 
The Bible is about being saved. So in the Old Testament, uh, you'll read in the book of Psalms, verse six, chapter 68, verse 20, God is a God who saves. We sing about that. In the book of Exodus, Israel was saved from captivity in Egyptian slavery. The prophet Isaiah, the, not only the history books, but the prophecy books. Chapter 43, verse 11, God says, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Flip over to the New Testament. Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Get over to the end of the New Testament, the letters, the epistles there. Paul writes this. Here's a trustworthy saying. It deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to save sinners. So it should come as no surprise if you're like a church type person or you're, you've read the Bible, you've heard sermons, then that may be, that's no surprise to you that, that scripture tells us that God's will is for you to be saved. We're looking at the will of God. What does the Bible clearly say is the will of God for our life? If God could have whatever he wants, this very moment, what would he want? Well, here's what the New Testament says. This is good and pleases God our Savior, 1 Timothy 2, verse 3, who wants, this is what God wants. He wants all people to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what Paul says. What does Peter say? You know, the fishermen that traveled with Jesus, here's what he said. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Repentance is simply a word that means I'm turning my heart. I'm turning my heart from going away from God to going with God, you know? It's just a turning of the heart toward God that brings a saving experience. But what does it mean to be saved? You probably heard, yeah, it's about being saved, but what does salvation, salvation mean? You know, if it's God's will for me to be saved, what does, what does it mean to be saved? The early, this may be a surprise to you, but the earliest meaning of that word in the Bible, the Hebrew word yasha, means to become roomy, to become spacious, to enter into a broad, open place. And the contrasting viewpoint is to be confined to be contained, to be constricted, to be oppressed. So to be saved means to find wide open spaces. It's like the picture of someone whose life has been hemmed in on every side and then deliverance comes to the rescue and, uh, and moves you out into wide open spaces. Remember the story of the, those miners in Chile? who were stuck in that hole underground, dark, confining, constricting, oppressing, can't breathe. And then, oh my goodness, they got out. It was like, ah, wide open space, blue sky, I can breathe easy now. That's the picture of salvation in the Bible. And only God doesn't just bring you salvation. God is salvation. He's the source and the salvation as Savior. So to know him is to know saving. It's what he does. It's who he is. So maybe there's another surprise for you that salvation isn't merely transactional. It's not just something that you get 
and then you put aside, it's relational. Salvation is a faith relationship, and it's not static. It doesn't just, it's not just in itself. It's dynamic. It's, it's alive. That's what we talk about. The living God and his salvation that he gives in himself is alive. So if you are saved, God's saving life is alive in you. And so here's what I'm going to do today, and I'm going to dare you to try to keep up with me because I got a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to take it as a teacher, and I'm going to offer perhaps a, a, an in-depth teaching that you maybe didn't come into the room this morning thinking like this about. So I'm, going to, I'm challenging you. Engage your gray matter. Stick with me, and let's give you something to take with you that will widen your space and help you breathe easier, Right? Salvation happens in three tenses. It's alive, but at the same time, it happens. It is in the past, it is in the present, and it is future, and it's happening all at the same time. Here's the past, Ephesians 2.8. By grace, you have been saved. Now, students, that means that's the perfect tense in the grammar, which means that it refers to an accomplished fact with continuing results. This is an event that happened in the past, but it hasn't stopped happening ever since past with continuing action. And that event that locks in our salvation in time past is the saving work of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, Jesus came, that's past tense, into the world to save sinners. So our salvation is grounded in the unique, unrepeatable, once for all, life, death, resurrection of our Savior. We talk about the finished work. So that the moment you enter into Christ, the moment Christ enters into you, that you enter into something that is already completed. It's a done deal. The war is over, the victory is won, and even though our experience is not complete, our journey is far from finished, we got a lot of growing to do, but the reality it rests on is, a, is completely completed. It's, a finished, it's like a finished wardrobe that you receive. Now all that's left is for you to put it on and wear it, which brings us to the, pres- the present tense. That's past tense, but present tense. I am being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are What? Being saved, that's present tense, present active salvation. It's not just something that happened once and then I put it aside. No, I am right now being saved by the living presence of God's salvation in me. 2 Corinthians 2.15, we are the pleasing aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Present active experience in our daily lives. It's happening right now. And because of that, I can say this. Thank God I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but God is at work in me right now. You know, I'm a work in progress. Please be patient with me. I'm under construction. That's what that means right there. I have been saved, but I am being saved, and I am becoming more delivered every day. Stepping out into brighter, bluer skies every day. Breathing easier every day. And, uh, and as I'm getting more delivered today, tomorrow is even brighter, which brings us to the future tense. I will be saved. Okay, time out. You still with me? Everybody still with me? Do we need to exhale? You okay, keeping up? All right, thank you. Uh, some of you said, yeah. Um, Peter, 
Okay, so what does future tense mean? Future tense means I will be saved. Paul writes that salvation is nearer to us now, present tense, but it's nearer now than when we first believed. We're on a timeline and we're heading somewhere. That's Romans 13, 11. And what's he talking about? He's talking about our eternal destiny, the second coming of our Lord. God's not done with this world, not done with us yet. Our eternal destiny is yet to be. Simon Peter refers to the same thing, the other fisherman follower of Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 5, he says, we're guarded right now. We are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. It hasn't been fully revealed yet, but it will be in the last day. Verse 9, as the outcome of your faith, you will obtain the salvation of your souls. You know what he's talking about? Salvation, future tense. God's still at work. Romans 5, Paul paints the picture all in a couple of verses. Three tenses, watch for them here. Since we have already been justified, that's acquitted in the past, We now have peace with God in the present, right now, and then rejoice in hope of one day, verse 2, sharing the glory of God, past, present, future, past event, present experience, future expectation. And with that introduction, that is the foundation upon which we are to understand what does it mean to be saved. We're ready now to move from our three tenses into three stages of salvation. What stage are you in? And maybe we're going to discover another surprise, that as salvation happens in stages, what that means is we are coming with God, by God, in God, into a wider open space of understanding and reality in life. And it started at one point, but we're growing in it to this point, and we're not all the way there yet, but it's happening now. And here's the question, what's the nature of that space? As you step into salvation space, what's it like? And there are three further applications. You wrap your head, your heart around this one. I'm telling you, blessing is here for somebody today. Because you're saved from a penalty. You're saved for a purpose and you're saved by a person. But I want to peel that back a little bit more and help us see in Philippians 1.6. Let's go there. Being confident of this. This is what our beliefs are built on. This is our bedrock confidence. That he who began a good work in you, ah, oh, that's past will carry it on, that's present, to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So the first focus of God's saving work in unfolding stages following, uh, a, is following a process. First, we are saved from the penalty of our sins in the past. God began a good work in us. How did he do that? He enters into the broken space. He enters into the broken world. He enters into our broken lives. And Christ himself offers himself to be broken. He says, this body is broken. And what he meant was so that we can start finding freedom from the penalty of sin. And uh, when the angel tells, speaks to Joseph and Mary, what does he say? You're supposed to call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So he came to save us from sin in the past. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus walking by his baptistry one day, he says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Bill's world, of your world, of our world. That was Jesus was born to save from sin. Sin is the danger to which God responds in offering us salvation. 
Now, why do we need that? Well, because none of us are born into a neutral environment. None of us are born into a spiritual vacuum. All of us, from our very beginnings, have been taught how to live in this world by people who are already compromised by this world. It happens to everybody. It's very contaminant. The world cultures, natural cultures, or uh, national cultures, human society has been organized through time around structures that reinforce influence and power built to deal in with people who are less than perfect in less than perfect ways, sinful ways. And the same temptations that enslave the ones we inherited from pretty well assures that those of us who come after are going to repeat behaviors of those who've come before. This is part of our struggle today, isn't it? This is part of the cultural struggle. And yet in Jesus Christ, here's the claim of the New Testament. In Jesus Christ, we meet the one and only person who is different. He felt the full force of temptation and sin from his closest friends, those around him, from his own family. You'll see that in the Gospels. And then from the social structures of his day, political, religious, military, all of them coming down on him and yet never once yields to the pressure. Instead, what we're told happened at the cross and in the resurrection is that Jesus breaks the dominance of the sin principle in human life for the first and only time in history. And in him, sin met its match. Now, this is heavy stuff. I know you probably didn't come in here this morning and say, oh, this is what I was thinking about. This is the conversation we had in the parking lot. But this is the weightiness of our salvation. Paul says, in him we have redemption. We just sang that word. It means the fullness of God's redeeming grace, of his taking us into himself space through his blood, by the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, 7. And then we see, because of what Christ did, God now has a chosen case of spiritual amnesia. Did you know this is true about God for you? Here's what he says. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, I got bad tapes that I play from time to time about my past in my head, and the Holy Spirit has to remind me, what are you talking about? God forgot about that a long time ago. He doesn't hold our sins against us. We are saved from the penalty of sin. Guilt, death, hell. Thank God. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's wide open, breathe easy space. Next, we're saved from the power of sin in the present. Romans 6. This tells us why baptism is so significant. The deep meaning of baptism is that you and I were buried in Christ, just like our bodies go underwater in baptism, that we might rise to live a new kind of life because his spirit is now alive in us. By his spirit's power, we find freedom from sin. So those old habits, those old hangups, they don't get to lock us down anymore. They don't get to keep us hurt anymore. They don't get to be our captors anymore. Because salvation means I'm being freed from the power of sin. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this is a perfect illustration. Maybe you remember the story. He's at the graveyard. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, and his sister says, Lord, he's stinking by now. 
You know, he's been, so, he's been dead so long, it's not going to be a happy thing to roll that stone away. Jesus said, move the stone. And then he calls him to come forth. Can you imagine? And here's what an eyewitness said. The dead man came out. His hands, his feet, wrapped in strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And here's what Jesus says. Take off the grave clothes. Let him go. Can you imagine if you'd been there grieving with the family that day and suddenly you got this mummy. That's what I'm imagining is a mummy walking into the cemetery and Jesus said, would you just go over there and you know, kind of loosen him up a little bit? By Christ's power, now as brothers and sisters in the family of God, we're supposed to help one another lose our grave clothes. You know, Lazarus, you got to take your own step out of the grave responding to Jesus' call. But, oh, my goodness, then when Lazarus walks into this open space again, he's got some friends there, some loved ones there who are going to help him keep walking so that he can be free from the condemnation of sin and free from the domination of sin in death. And then in the final stage, we get free from the presence of sin in the future. I mean, this is awesome. Is this, is it, are you still with me? Okay, we're still making the journey here. When Christ comes into your life the first time, it's like D-Day has just landed. You know, a spiritual beachhead has been established, and the battle is not over. But when D-Day happened in France, they were happy the Allied forces were there. Superior forces had arrived, and the backbone of the Nazi presence was neutralized. The enemy is put to flight. But then we discovered in World War II the battle was not over. Victory Day was yet to come. Same thing in the Christian life. When Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, gave his spirit, and then came into your life, that's your D-Day. But we're not in heaven yet. Victory day is yet to come, and when Christ comes again, he will silence every weapon of the enemy. Evil will be banished forever, and our eternal destiny will then commence. What does it mean to be saved? Man, speaking of destiny, we've seen what we're saved from. But another question the Bible answers is, what are we saved for? You know the answer to that question? God had something in mind. When he came into your life in Christ, we're saved for the purpose of grace. That's in the past. By God's grace, we receive as sheer gift the experience of salvation. That means I can't deserve it. I can't earn it. I wasn't even thinking about it when the offer came to me. But God gives it to me, not by anything I've done. Here's what the New Testament says, not by works of righteousness that I've done. Christianity is not a moral behavioral modification course in self-righteousness. We don't earn this. But according to his mercy, he saved me. This is God's grace. I'm supposed to embrace it and learn it. And then next, that's in the past. It keeps going in the present. Then we have growth out of that grace. We don't just go through life like victims of circumstance or like some pinball in a machine that just keeps bouncing us back and forth, the next storm, the next problem, the next whatever. No. We're saved for the, purpose, for the growth of God in the present. And so with gratitude, we can take every day and keep growing every single day, right up to the very day when it's your turn to cross over. Everybody's going to die someday, but you can keep growing by God's grace and love until that very moment when you cross from this side to the other side. 
because of what salvation means. And speaking of the other side, we're saved for the purpose of glory in the future. Paul speaks for each one of us when he writes this. Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings, anybody suffering right now? You know, our world is suffering. Our world's a mess. We got a lot of heartache. We got a lot of heartbreak. We got families in crisis. We got nations in upheaval. And here's what Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What? What are you talking about? Glory, what is that? Well, glory is the magnificent essence of God himself. You know, when you see light, light has brilliance as part of its shining. There's illumination, yes, but there's brilliance that's part of light. God's essence is his magnificent brilliance to you. This is incredible. The New Testament tells us again that God is committed to bringing his brilliance into our humanity. That we become full participants in the divine nature. That's what Peter wrote. Full participants in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in this world. Paul says we're going to shine like the sun, like the stars. Well, how do we know it's going to happen? (laughs) How do we know we can believe it? And here's the answer. The person who is our Savior By whom are we saved? We're saved by Jesus Christ incarnate. That's in the past. Our high priest came as a human being in real time and took on our real sins on a real cross and went into a real grave and then rose from the dead. Really? Incarnate Christ. And he was our high priest as vulnerable as we are to temptation and sin and the full force of it and he encountered it and was put to the test in every way that we are even to the full intensity of infinite suffering on the cross but he never broke he never cracked he never yielded there's nobody like Jesus Jesus the incarnate God And then Jesus, the indwelling Christ. We're saved by the indwelling Christ, his Holy Spirit in the present. Listen, we don't succeed in the Christian life by willpower. It's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So Christ puts his spirit in us. More about that later in another message. But to bear fruit and to live in close connection. And as we do that, we're going to overcome evil. We're going to go the distance. We're going to fight the good fight. We're going to finish the race. We're going to keep the race. And when this life is run, life is not done. There's more to come. The house lights are going to go dim, but the spotlight of eternity is going to come up in magnificent brilliance. And we're going to be saved by Jesus Christ, the invincible in the future. Jesus' resurrection, the New Testament says, was like a first fruit of the harvest. A first fruit, which means that there's a whole lot more harvest to come. Jesus' resurrection, the Savior who in his first visit came in such obscurity to the world will come again, but this time in glorious splendor. The first time he was in the shame of a Roman cross, the next time he will be demonstrating the splendor of his father and every he will be declared sovereign 
by every creature in the universe, exalted to the highest place, Paul says, with the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our salvation yet to come. But you know what? It wasn't just, that wasn't just an idea in Paul's head. Here's what John said, the fisherman John. He said this, when Christ appears, and I believe he could come back any day, any time, time to be ready. But when Christ appears, this is what he said, we shall be like him. What? Wait a minute. We, me, you, yes, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What does it mean to be saved? Well, I'm telling you this. uh, I've given you a summary grid of what Scripture teaches, what the New Testament tells us of what it means to be saved, to be justified, to be sanctified, to be glorified. And I know this is a lot. So I really just want to ask you, what does it mean for you to be saved? I can tell you what it means. It means that you have personally chosen, responding to the love of God in Christ, to use your step of faith and go through the door of opportunity in Christ. It means that you have stepped up out of your stuck place and said, Lord, I would like to find some breathing room. I'd like to find some more freedom. It means stepping out of your stuck place. Coming to Christ does not mean Not on the front end. We'll learn more about this later. But it isn't about confessing that you are the worst evildoer you could possibly be. It's about admitting that you're in a stuck place and that you're willing and ready for a change to happen in your life. You're willing to reach your hand toward an outstretched hand that's reaching for you. You feel trapped. You're ready for some relief. You're You're ready for a gift, a lift, somebody, please. You're open to a change. You know what? You don't have to make yourself feel a certain way. You just have to turn. Turn from trying to do it all yourself and say, God, my Savior, save me. You do it God's way, and then you trust Jesus to be the door into your future. Here's what Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, Mark chapter 1. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, in this context, let me tell you something. Repent. The word repent simply means turn from where you're going to where I'm going. Jesus says repent and believe the good news. Jesus doesn't say repent because you've done something horribly wrong. What Jesus says is, repent because God is about to do something wonderfully awesome. You don't want to miss this. So that's what he's saying. He's going to do something wonderful. He's going to help you become whole. He's going to help you get unstuck out of your stuck place. If you want to do the will of God with your life, which is what this this series is about, then here's where it starts. You reach back to the hand that's reaching to you and accept God's offer. God is saying, here's my best offer for your best life. You want in? Then you just say, yeah. And here's how it can begin for you, with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, be my savior. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. 
Teach me to learn that I might follow you into wide open spaces as you design. Now, maybe you've already done that today. If you haven't, that's the step. That's your first step. Do that. Maybe you've already done that, and uh, you're wondering, well, what would my... Maybe your, maybe your next step is to pray for someone according to God's will. Did you know that John wrote in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know whatever we ask that we have what we've asked of him. Have you ever wanted to pray in God's will about something? And God promises that he will answer when you pray in his will. What did we just say is God's will for everyone in this world? to come to know him as Savior. But it's a free choice that must be made, and we can join God in sharing the good news by praying for somebody who hasn't stepped into that choice yet, which may be why they still feel stuck. Maybe that's your next step today, praying for a friend, for a loved one, for somebody that you're asking that God would show them how to get out, the, get out of their stuck place. And then maybe you could even tag the prayer with this, and Lord, I'm available if you want to use me. Is there a more loving thing that you can do than share the love of God with somebody who's stuck and say, and I'll be here to help you, and we can walk together into the future that God has for you, especially people in your life that maybe some of them are thinking, you know, there's no happy ending, is there? When people think that thought for too long, it can be a really hard thing to deal with. And yet, God can say, I hear you, I'm with you, I can lift you. Would you pray with me now? Jesus said that he's standing at the door and knocking, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Will you let him in? And believer, you've already followed him, but would you let God use you to share your freedom with somebody else? The scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord Jesus, we're calling on you now. And we're so thankful for all you've done that can mean the difference in our present and our future and can lift us from being trapped in our past. If you just prayed with me to ask Christ to come alive in your heart, then let me ask God's blessing for you. Lord, for this brother, for this sister, new in the faith, new in experiencing who you are, we pray that you will fill them to the point that they know that you have heard them and that now we can make the journey together. Free us from our grave clothes and take us into the new life that you have. In your name we pray, amen.